This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Welcome to the Hero Academy Podcast, the place where we can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes. I believe that frontline heroes such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are heroes without capes. I don't care about politics, only positivity and purpose. I only care about those who have chosen to serve society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here you will learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their passion. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing. Things you can do to make extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast each week, you will learn from people like you who are working full time, but still found time to create a course, grow a big team or a large audience or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories and how they overcame burnout. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. I'm your host, David Diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. Hello, my extended family, and thank you for joining this week's episode of the Hero Academy podcast. If you're a frontline hero, police, fire, EMS, military, or medical professional, then you're in the right place, and this show is for you. This week, I would like to introduce you to our guest, Keith Carlson. Keith, uh, if you would like to introduce yourself... Sure. I, I like to tell, let people tell their own story. Yeah, totally. So thanks for having me, David. It's really an honor and a privilege. And my name is Keith Carlson. I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I've been a nurse for 25 years. And I've been a coach and podcaster and writer and speaker and consultant over the last decade or so. And my coaching has to do with uh, nurses and healthcare professionals' careers and lives. And I love podcasting, I love writing, and I love helping support and empower and mentor other healthcare professionals who are looking to take their lives to the next level or change things up or figure out what their next step in their journey is. And I've, I've been around the block a couple times, so <laughs> I, have, I have some stories under my belt after all these years. Where did you work as a nurse? I worked the first, gosh, quite a few years, almost uh, 15, in Holyoke and Springfield, Massachusetts, Western Mass. How was that area over there? Well, um, Western Mass is beautiful. Holyoke is a relatively depressed former mill town in Western Mass. So there's a great deal of substance use disorder uh, disorders. There's a lot of mental health issues. There's, it's a rough town. It's, it's come a long way in the last 10 years since I left that area and moved to New Mexico, but it's, it's been a rough town for many years and Springfield mass as well. <clears throat> so there's a lot of people who need help. And I worked pretty extensively in the Puerto Rican community and I was pretty um, knitted into the fabric of that community through the work I was doing. That's really cool. Now, New Mexico has uh, 
the meth issue because I know they have so so many wide open areas where they can cook it in trailers. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I watched Breaking Bad, so yeah. I know the story. Yeah, you got the story. <laughs> and, yeah, and also heroin. I mean, Española, yeah. New Mexico, which is just north of Santa Fe, that's been the black tar heroin capital of the country for many years. I don't know if it is now, but still, you know, we New Mexico borders the country of Mexico on our southern border and a lot of drugs run up I-25 from Mexico mm. up through New Mexico into Denver and beyond in Colorado. And just over the border in Mexico, you have some really, really dangerous people that are like, you know, committing murders mm-hmm. at, at, at rates that are just unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, New Mexico is a sparsely populated state. We only have a couple million people. Santa Fe is a city of about 80,000 and growing. Um, Albuquerque is about half a million. And Santa Fe is actually the capital. And it's an interesting, odd, extremely idiosyncratic culture here. It's a very unusual place. Um, You mentioned that you're moving. Are you moving out of New Mexico or are you just moving somewhere in the the state? I'm actually moving about three miles from my current home up into the mountains, uh, not very far from here on the outskirts of the city. I love hiking the mountains. Uh, We were in Arizona. We were in uh, Scottsdale and uh, Phoenix, and we just, we love, absolutely love the mountains out there. So. You've got to come. Do you have a you have a walk them yourself? Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm going to be living right on the edge of national forest. I can just walk out of my new house and just I could hike for miles and miles. So you have to come visit me here in the high desert. We're at a uh, seven thousand feet above sea level. What's the nearest airport to you? Albuquerque and Santa Fe. Albuquerque and Santa Fe. We okay. have this little diminutive airport. Um, it's a it's a cute little place that feels like you're arriving to another country. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, so back to your career, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I, I know about nurses and I know about nursing, the, the nursing career is that there's so many avenues that you can take, uh, in your career. And, uh, most people think of working in a hospital, but I know that you never worked in a hospital. No, I chose not to. I was told it was uh, professional suicide and I was like, mm, just watch me. I, I knew what I wanted. The hospital wasn't my happy place. And I also knew that not getting a year or two of med surge experience, which everyone gets drummed into their brain, that's what you need, that there is some liability involved in doing that. And I was willing to take on that liability and carve a different path. And I'm the sort of person who I tend to do things differently than what is usually expected or recommended. I just, it's just part of my nature. And I don't, I don't rebel just as a knee-jerk reaction to rebel. I just happen to think a little differently. I'm a little iconoclastic, and it's worked well for me. I've never been unemployed in 25 years except during a few small periods where I, I actually chose to be unemployed. But otherwise, I've, I've carved a unique path and, and had quite a ride, actually. Uh, what kind of nursing did you do? I don't know if you answered that already. Not particularly. Um, I started out in community health in a community health center, federally funded health center, and was working with the poorest of the poor for the most part. 
And then I moved into home health and hospice for a little bit just to get that experience out in the community. And then I moved into this very specialized case management where I was carrying 40, 50 very complex patients. And it was a very unusual situation where I worked in tandem with these incredible doctors at this federally funded community health center. And we worked very intensively with the sickest people. And we, we partnered with a nonprofit HMO in Boston. And we really delivered incredible care, very incredible care. And I was out in the community, in the clinic, in people's homes, rounding in the hospital. And we helped turn a lot of people's lives around. And we also helped other people die dignified deaths. So it was, it was a really intense work, but it was incredibly gratifying, even though I burned myself to an utter crisp. I, um, my neighbor, she does, she's a supervisor for nurses in, in the home health care space. And, um, that's when I first learned that not all nurses work in hospitals. <laughs> that's right. Only about 55 to 60% of nurses in the United States work in hospitals. So what do the other 40 to 45% nurses do? It's so diverse. There's so many. So, uh, you're coaching, when people come to you about career coaching, uh, what what are they typically asking you? Well, there's different uh, silos of people or different silos people fall into. And the main ones are relatively new nurses or brand new nurses who are trying to find their way. I hear a lot from nurses who are like anywhere from one to five years into the profession and they, they're trying to figure out what's next because they've kind of paid their dues. They've gotten beat up a little bit by, the, by the, their career, and they want to take charge of their career. And then I have others who are really seasoned, 10, 20, 30 years, and they're trying to retool or change specialties or talk about going back to school or starting a business. And I have others who come to me who have had a discipline against their license. Something has happened, and they now have a ding on their license, and they're like, how do I pick myself up again and, and do this again? And So that third group is the one that I'm most interested in, the one that you mentioned they have 20-plus years on, mm -hmm. and they're ready for a transition, and they're trying to figure out what, what's next. So you successfully made that transition, and I want to applaud you for that because uh, you start you started out juggling uh, the career and doing the speaking. Uh, when you speak on stage, what do you typically speak on? What are some of your speaking topics? Well, I almost exclusively speak to nursing organizations who invite me, um, sometimes outside of nursing, but it's mostly nursing because that's kind of my, my metier, right? So... I will sometimes be asked to do a keynote or this coming spring of 2022, I'm doing an end note for an organization in Las Vegas, unless the, the pandemic gets in our way and it might go virtual, which could happen. But the end and a closing presentation has to be very uplifting. You've got to send people home really fired up. A keynote kind of sets the tone for the conference. And I also get 
asked to come to do topical presentations, which might be um, teamwork, collaboration, um, leadership. I've done a lot of talks on leadership. And then also sort of like basic empowerment for nurses, whether it's self-care, wellness, or how to be the nurse and live the mission that, that you are meant to live. So it tends to be more on the inspiring side, though I can do instructional types of presentations, though I tend to go more in the inspirational direction. And what are some of the steps that you took to become a speaker and a coach? Okay. To become a speaker, I just started speaking. I had a podcast, RNFM Radio. It was one of the first nursing podcasts on the internet. I think it was the second one. <laughs> uh, we launched in January of 2012, so that was 10 years ago. And of course, there were other podcasts at the time, but nursing and healthcare podcasts were pretty sparse. And learning to speak on the mic was was the beginning. And listening to the episodes and hearing my own voice and getting used to my voice and then working with my voice to, to find literally my voice. Like, how is it that I, how do I speak? How do I present myself? How do I put my thoughts together and put them out in the world? And I actually got a couple speaking gigs and didn't know what I was doing. So I found a speaking coach here in Santa Fe and worked with her. And I was like, what the hell do I do with my hands when I'm on stage? I don't know what to do with them. Um, how do I stand, you know, and, and do I move around? Do I stay in one place? How do I, how do I project my voice and, and kind of mix it up? So she helped me a great deal. And I worked with someone else who was more of a movement coach. So we worked on kind of body, like how do you use your body on stage? And um, I just started experimenting. And sometimes I can be a little slapstick on stage. Uh, I, I, I've done all sorts of things. And mostly speaking, I've learned by speaking and listening and watching other speakers. And coaching is a whole other story. But that, that's kind of the, the speaking world that I've, I've stepped into. It's been an interesting journey. How did you uh, fall into coaching? Um, I heard about coaching. It was around 2008, 2009. And I took a couple like weekend courses, learning how to be a coach, you know. And I was like, oh, this is cool. So what I did is I started practicing on people. And I started um, just conducting coaching sessions based on what I was learning. And I had a couple mentors along the way. And then I basically hung a sh virtual shingle and started charging money. Not too much at, the f at first. I was charging very little, nominal fee. And as I gained my chops and I gained confidence, I was like, oh, I can actually charge a little more money. And I got a little more coaching about my coaching and eventually saw that there was a board certified nurse coach program I could do and actually be board certified, something recognized by the American Nurses Association and the American Holistic Nurse Association. And I was like, do they still offer that? Yeah, they do. It's huge now. And I was in ah. the first cohort of nurses in the world who were certified as board certified nurse coaches. I was in the first 50 or 100 people. And by the time I entered that certification process, I already had done, I think, 500 hours of coaching. So they worked with me, and I 
earned my certification by taking the exam. And now I've done well over 2,000 coaching sessions. That's incredible. And how many podcast episodes uh, have you? do you think you've recorded? Let's see. RNFM Radio had about 260, and I was co-host on almost all of those. We had I had other different co-hosts. We had a revolving door a little bit for a little while. Then I had a, I was hired to do a podcast called Mastering Nursing, and that was about 25 episode limited series podcast. And then the Nurse Keith Show, I just recorded with you, episode 354. And I've done a lot of uh, bonus episodes, so it's more like 380 for the Nurse Keith Show. And now I've been hired by a university whose name I can't yet mention to create and host a new podcast for them about nursing education. Congratulations. Yeah. So That's incredible. Thanks. So I'm in the, um, what is that, 700 range maybe at this point? Wow. Something like that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah I, I feel like I can learn so much from, from your experience in podcasting and speaking and just, just your experience in general. Um, what, what are you most passionate about right now out of all those things that you do? I love coaching. I love clients who are very empowered and motivated and, and passionate about making change. And when I have clients like that, it's incredibly gratifying because we really see results and what kind of clients do you serve? Well, mostly nurses, almost all nurses. I've worked with some physical therapists, um, physician assistants, a couple other people outside, an architect, but it's mostly nurses. And I love seeing those kind of results, and I'm super passionate about being able to help nurses. However, I'm also super passionate about podcasting. It's something I truly, truly love to do. It's really fun and um it's just such a part of my life for so many years now, almost a decade, that I, it's just, it's something that's kind of in my blood, and I just love talking into the mic and talking with people and, and speaking to my audience, and I love writing professionally, and I also love speaking, so I'm passionate about all those things, but the, the underlying passion, like you, it's about service, and it's about serving, for the most part, nurses, and other healthcare professionals and helping them see the light <laughs> that so speaking speaking of nurses uh what advice would you give them to avoid burning out because it's such a it's such a big problem <laughs> man well from my personal story part of it is that people who go into nursing tend to really be givers and we're givers in our personal lives. We're givers in our professional lives. We, we just kind of like give, 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 give. And when someone asks us to do something, our knee-jerk reaction is to say yes. And I find that in my personal life as well. I'm so fast to say yes. Even if I'm at my wit's end and I'm, I'm, burning, my, I'm burning my candle at three ends. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So part of it is boundaries like you have to learn boundaries like no i'm not going to work a double on my wedding anniversary my wife and i have plans <laughs> tonight or no 
um, I, you know, I'm not going to do um, that shift on Christmas because I have plane tickets or, or whatever it happens to be. Um, or no, I'm not working tomorrow. I know you're short-staffed, but I need a rest, and I'm taking my kid to the zoo. Do you know what I mean? Like, I boundaries, do. the ability to say no, and so many nurses do not know how to say no. They just don't, and that's that's the first place you have to begin if you want to succeed in keeping burnout at bay, and that's only the first step. Mm. So I... I call them ser- servant heart people, mm-hmm. and um, you know nurses obviously fit in that category because, like you said, they have that servant's heart and they are givers. Um, do you have any good stories that you can share of uh, maybe maybe a funny story or a crazy story from uh, from your past? Do you mean in terms of patients or in terms of my experiences? Uh, either. <laughs> oh man, gosh. Pa- let's start with patients first. Mm. I had a, um, well, working in the, um, the HIV AIDS community, um, in, of patients in Western Mass, Springfield and Holyoke, I worked with quite a few transgender patients and, um, patients who were gay and a few lesbian patients and that was a really interesting world to be drawn into the the trans and gay puerto rican community in in that area and sometimes their personalities are they're just some of the funniest people you ever want to meet we had i had so much fun i had some really incredible patients and we were like family and one patient um he was a man who transitioned to female, not surgically, but just had was living as a woman more or less with her boyfriend. And they invited me to their wedding and it was a wild wedding. And one of the sad <laughs> things was that she was wearing a, a, a bridal gown and had, had um, other, um, had a bridal party and they were all men, but they were living as women. And, they had to come in the back door past the dumpsters because they couldn't go in the front door of this venue because of what could have happened in terms of people, their reaction to this party of, you know, kind of very different looking individuals. And I, I was so sad for them that they couldn't come in the front door with dignity, you know. However, yeah. we had the greatest time. It was the most fun wedding. And to be to be integrated into that community and welcomed as like this straight white married man, you know, um, also being Anglo, not being, not being Hispanic, but I was very fluent in Spanish and just to be welcomed in and just to be part of the fabric of that community. And, you know, walking down the street of, um, the main street of Springfield and people knowing, who I was and just saying, Hola, doctor, you know, and they just <laughs> knew, they knew that I was there to serve and no one would mess with me. You know, sometimes I was carrying, um, a toolbox with a little tiny lock on it with methadone. Cause I was doing home delivery of methadone. Nobody messed with me. And I sometimes would, as a visiting nurse, I would go 
tend to the wounds, the surgical wounds of gang members who'd been knifed or been shot. And they became my pals, you know, and nobody would mess with me because they, they were like, hola, doctor. You know, and it was like I was part of the, the group of people who served that community. And I had some great times. And my wife at the time was actually the director of a, a drop-in day center for Puerto Rican elders in the projects right where my clinic was, where I worked. And we created some amazing parties and gatherings. And it was, it was a real sense of community. And I did burn out on it because I gave and gave so much. I couldn't stop giving. And these people became such a part of my psyche that they were just with me all the time, which was beautiful. And it was also dragging me down at the same time. So there were great times. There were really, really tragic times and some tragic deaths. And we all persevered to the best of our ability through some real curveballs that would get thrown into our lives and the lives of our patients. So then at some point, I guess you made the transition to transition out of that career and out of that life. I did. My, my wife at the time, actually, bless her heart, we're still best friends. She basically grabbed me by the scruff of my neck and said, you're quitting that job. She said, you're, it's affecting your personal life, your health, your social life, your ability to experience joy. She said, you've got to quit. You've got to do it. So I did. And nurses have this sense of indispensability, like, oh, my God, the world's going to fall apart if I quit, right? And the world did not fall apart. I missed my patients. They missed me. But you know what? Life goes on, and, and people filled the gaps. And I became a public health nurse and completely changed my life radically and then changed it radically again over the next year or so. Uh, what's your next project that you're working on? Right. What do you got upcoming? Right now? Yeah, yes, sir. Um, right now, I'm still building out the podcast. Um, that's a never-ending That's a never ending battle, all right? Ending. Yeah. Um, when I get to 500 episodes, I'll have to think about what what's next if I'm going to keep it going or if I'm going to switch things up. Um, I do want to grow my speaking business as the pandemic. Well, the pandemic has really thrown a curveball and I've done a lot of virtual presentations, but I really want to get back on stage because I love being on stage. I love talking to people and jumping off the stage and being able to touch them on the shoulder and look them in the eye and make people laugh. Right. And walk around the yeah. audience like Phil Donahue. I love doing that stuff. Um, I also, at some point, need to knuckle down and build out the Nurse Keith Nation, which would be a membership program for people for group coaching and virtual learning, asynchronous learning. So that's on the horizon. It's just life keeps getting in the way. And, you know, you make plans and God laughs, a lot of people like to say. And I've had tons of plans. But there's, there's things I want to do and there's things I want to accomplish and there's a lot of people I want to help and I just have to keep looking for the right avenues and and um, mechanisms to help them. You ever see the movie uh, Duplicity? You, you need more of yourself. Duplicity? More, you need a few. No. no. Uh, 
I think that's the name of it. Um, I can't remember the actor's name, but you need you need copies of yourself, like at least three, four more. Cloning, yeah. Well, in my new house, I might have a little cloning laboratory in the bathroom, so I'll keep you posted on that. <laughs> now, you write and you produce a lot of content. Yeah. Um, so, like, in, in my eyes, you're somewhat of an SEO expert. In your in your own eyes, I think you're very humble about it. But um, what's a couple of tips like for for those that don't know, SEO is search engine optimization. Um, you have any tips for that? Well, I I really don't think of myself as an SEO expert. I've never hired one because I'm like, I, I don't know. I just that's part of my rebellious nature. But my my web people they've they've helped optimize my website to some extent. They're really wonderful. It, for me, your blog, your blo- your blog helps a lot as well. Yeah, I have a weird situation, but I'll explain. But my website, nursekeith.com, basically, I know that search engines work on keywords, right? And I know that when they're crawling websites, uh, the crawlers, the bots, whatever you call them these days, it's always changing. They're looking for new content and relevant content. They're not looking for keyword stuffing and they're not they're they're they don't really respond very well to the best of my knowledge to static websites. Websites that don't have a blog or podcast show notes or anything and it's just a brochure website. Those don't get crawled very well as far as I know because there's nothing new for the crawlers to see. There's the spiders, whatever the hell they call these days. And you know, <laughs> as they're looking for keywords, they're looking for new content they're not seeing anything, right? So for me, part of the SEO is creating fresh keyword rich content that's relevant on a regular basis. And for me on my website, that means my show notes for my for my podcast. And I now have almost 375 or maybe 380 um, posts on my blog that are keyword rich. The other thing is that I have a lot, a lot, a lot of, of high-quality backlinks to my website on other websites. And that's not any kind of um, black uh, – what do they call it? The, 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 there's this – Black hat. Black hat. I think it's called black hat. This kind of black hat BS that goes on out there. This is basically people I know who link back to me, whether it's because they've been on my podcast or whatever – and the other thing that I do is that I write for other organizations. I've written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles, generally paid. It's a paid gig for other organizations. And one of the things I negotiate when I do that is I get a byline and a bio and I get a hyperlink back to my website. So every single uh. article I ever write for anyone else for the most part, I'd say 99.9% of articles has a backlink to nursekeith.com. And that's from some very high-quality websites. So I don't know if there's a way to fi- find out. I think there must be how many backlinks there are to one's website. But I probably have thousands of links back. So that's basically my SEO strategy is create tons and tons and tons of content and then get as many backlinks as you can. It sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> How many hours a day are you typically working in your own business? Um, 
I'd say I, I don't know per day because I create my own days and some days I work less than others, but I'd say that's the beauty. That's, that's the beauty. beauty. See, I just, I just want to highlight yeah. that some days you work more, some days you work less, you create your own that's days. Right. I block out whatever I need and want for my medical appointments, for time with my girlfriend, whatever it is I happen to be doing. Right. Um, I'd say I work anywhere on average from 30 to 50 hours these days, more or less. And do you typically like wake up and just start working or like how, how does your day look? It depends on the day. Like, like today I woke up, um, my girlfriend's away. I'm staying at her house, taking care of her dogs. I walk the dogs to care of my morning stuff. Um, and then my first appointment was recording my podcast episode with you. And then I have a couple clients this afternoon and then I have some errands and then I'm going to go walk the dogs before the sun goes down. Right. So that's a fairly typical day. And sometimes I, well, I actually do my very, very best to not schedule clients or calls before 10 AM mountain. Hmm. But because I have a lot of clients on the East coast who are two hours ahead of me, I sometimes have to do calls at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. my time. I try to avoid that because I, I can jump out of bed and start working, but I actually like a slow start to my day. I like to exercise. I like to go for a walk. I like to have a, a nice hot drink and breakfast, you know. So I try my best to carve my mornings into the, the type of morning that works best for me. I do a similar schedule. I have my availability set from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And then after that, uh, if someone needs a special time, you know, I can, I'm very flexible. I can find a special time to squeeze in there. But for the most part, it's uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to 4 p.m., six hours a day, mm -hmm. uh, pretty much five days a week. So yeah. about 30 hours, that's what I'm spending as yeah. well. And time, <clears throat> time zones can really mess with you. I've had some clients in Europe. I've had a couple in Australia. Um, I have a lot of clients on the East Coast and West Coast. So if a client's in California, they're only an hour behind me. So that's not too big a deal. But if someone right. is in New York, like yourself, you're two hours ahead of me. So if you want a morning appointment, I have to get up pretty early because I'm, you know, your 8 a.m. is my 6 a.m. So yes. that can be a little bit of a challenge. And then if you start getting clients overseas, then that's a whole nother, whole nother issue. And if you have clients in Asia, that's a, even a bigger issue because you can have <laughs> 18 hour time difference or 16 hour time difference. And, you know, so the, the point being here is that when you're fully employed, at, fully self-employed as an entrepreneur, you call the shots you get to say when you work and don't work, right? There's certain points during the week, certain windows of time when I have standing appointments, like my, see my therapist on Thursdays at 11, you know, things like that, where that's just blocked out. Like I never work during that period, ever, 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 ever. And weekends are fairly sacrosanct in terms of seeing clients, but when someone's in an extreme situation, I'll see them on a Saturday or a Sunday. But the thing is that, that you have control. And I think that ability to control your schedule and to carve 
and shape the lifestyle that you want is one of the beauties of this type of work. I couldn't agree more. Um, how can my audience find you? You mentioned your website. Could you just mention it one more time? Yeah, nursekeith.com is the website. And the podcast is The Nurse Keith Show. And that's on every podcast platform and app you could possibly think of. So I'm on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And you can find all those by looking for me or just they're linked on my website. Everything. The, the website is the hub, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. Keith, I, um, I, I just feel like there's so much more to learn from you. Um, this episode could be two hours long, but I'm going to cut it short. <laughs> uh, I just want to thank you for your time and all of your advice. If anyone is in nursing and they're listening to this podcast, uh, Keith is an excellent resource. You should absolutely reach out to him and uh, give a review and a thumbs up for his podcast as well. Thank you so much, David. It's an honor, and I can't wait to have you back on my podcast again because we also have tons to talk about. Yeah, we just scratched the surface. Thank you so much, Thank you, my and uh, I'll talk. I'll talk to you okay. soon. All right, all right, family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of their story. And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at David Leith, the number one. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.